Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 66, 2023, week one recap and week two preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. It is great to have the XFL back in action. With week one in the books, we have plenty to recap. We'll also cover the latest league developments and looking ahead to the week two matchups. Later in the show, contributor Mark Halbach will return to share his insight on this past weekend's games and preview the slate for week two. I will also be joined by former Tampa Bay Vipers and current Carolina Panthers tight end Colin Thompson to discuss the XFL and its impact on his career. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On February 13th, per the XFL Communications Department, the St. Louis Battlehawks added former National Football League and Green Bay Packers quarterback Manny Wilkins to their active roster. To be fair, this was previously reported by XFL analysts. Then, on February 15th, the XFL and ESPN announced Player 54 Chasing the XFL Dream, an original series chronicles the building of the XFL and follows the unique stories of players and coaches throughout the inaugural season. The series will air on ESPN2 and can be exclusively streamed on ESPN Plus immediately after each episode debuts. Also, on February 15th, Las Vegas NBC News 3 reported the Las Vegas City Council formally approved a deal that will allow Cashman Field to host the Vegas Vipers for 2023 and 2024. The agreement would allow up to nine games each season and the city will be paid $10,000 per event. Then, on February 16th, the XFL named Progressive Insurance the official auto insurance sponsor. Progressive's partnership and painted logo returns for each of the XFL's 43 games. Also on February 16th, ESPN announced it has further expanded its XFL 2023 kickoff season coverage with the XFL studio show, XFL Today. The weekly show will be led by signature digital host Jason Fitz and Scooby Magza with regular appearances from former National Football League wide receiver Andrew Hawkins. After its opening weekend coverage, the show will be available every week across ESPN social channels, YouTube, and the ESPN app, and will primarily air leading into the final game of each week. Then, on February 17th, the XFL announced Genius Sports, the official betting data distribution partner and free-to-play provider of the league. Genius Sports has been granted the exclusive rights to distribute official data from every XFL game to its global network of media and betting partners. Sportsbooks will be provided with the fastest, 
most accurate feed of XFL data, while brands and advertisers will be able to access official XFL data through Genius Marketing Suite and all-for-one fan engagement platform. To help the XFL expand its digital audience and drive fan engagement levels, Genius Sports has built a new XFL Pick'em game. This free-to-play game asks fans to predict the outcome of upcoming XFL matchups, including various proposition bets related to the games, players, and teams. To gamify the experience, fans are asked to bet with football tokens, creating parlays to increase their potential score and improve their ranking on the league-wide leaderboard. Weekly winners will be eligible for a variety of prizes, including XFL Shop gift cards, and a grand prize winner will receive a trip for two to the 2023 XFL Championship game. Also on February 17th, the XFL announced Westgate Resorts as founding partner of the league. The partnership makes Westgate Resorts the official resort of the XFL. Westgate will also host stadium activations and offer exclusive hospitality upgrades for fans throughout the season. Also on February 17th, the XFL announced Series XM will simulcast league games on ESPN Extra, Channel 81 on Series XM radios throughout the season. Then, of course, on February 18th, the XFL kicked off its 2023 season. In Game 1, the Arlington Renegades defeated the Vipers 22-20. Some of the key Renegades' performances are quarterback Drew Plitt went 19-25 of 25 with 172 passing yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, and one fumble. Running back Devion Smith had 42 yards on 15 carries with zero touchdowns. Wide receiver Tyler Vaughns had 38 yards on four receptions, zero touchdowns. Tight end Sal Canella had 70 yards on seven receptions, zero touchdowns. Kamasi Lalili, two tackles and a pick six. Devontae Busby, one tackle and a pick six. As for key Vegas Vipers performances, quarterback Luis Perez went 22 of 36 with 249 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Running back John Lovett had 10 yards on four carries, zero touchdowns, and a lost fumble. Wide receiver Jeff Bidette had 81 yards on six receptions and two touchdowns. Wide receiver Clinique Sweeting had 64 yards on three receptions and a touchdown. And on defense, C.J. Avery had four tackles and one interception. In Game 2, the Houston Roughnecks defeated the Orlando Guardians 33-12, with key Roughneck performances being quarterback Brandon Silvers went 26-42 of for 265 yards with two touchdowns, two interceptions. Quarterback Cole McDonald had 14 yards on four carries with a rushing touchdown. Running back Max Borgie had 42 yards on eight carries and a touchdown. Wide receiver Dante Burnett had 88 yards on eight receptions and a touchdown. Wide receiver John Tree Kirkland had 66 yards on five receptions and a touchdown. Defensively, Trent Harris had four sacks for a total loss of 28 yards. Sean Davis had five tackles and an interception. Devontae Beckett had four tackles and an interception. Also, Gene Harris had two tackles and one interception. As for key performances of the Orlando Guardians, quarterback Paxton Lynch went 15 of 21 for 136 yards with one touchdown and one interception. Quarterback Quinton Dormady went 12 of 18 for 142 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Running back Jamain Martin had 41 yards on nine carries, zero touchdowns. Wide receiver Andrew Jamil had 80 yards on three receptions and a touchdown. And newly converted tight end Cody Latimer had 68 yards on five receptions and a touchdown. As for the defense, 
Jacoby Jones had three tackles and two sacks. Matt Elam had three tackles and an interception. And also Marcus Murphy had two tackles and an interception. Then, on February 19th, the XFL held games three and four. Before the St. Louis Battlehawks and San Antonio Brahmas game, ownership announced the XFL championship game will be at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio on Saturday, May 13th. In game three, the St. Louis Battlehawks defeated the San Antonio Brahmas 18-15. Some of the key St. Louis Battlehawk performances, quarterback Josh McCarron went 18-27 with 190 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Running back Brian Hill recorded 55 yards on six carries. Wide receiver Austin Prohl recorded 49 yards on four receptions for a touchdown. Wide receiver Marcel Atman had 45 yards on two receptions, zero touchdowns. Wide receiver Akeem Butler had 32 yards on three receptions, one touchdown. And as far as the defense, Chris Cooper recorded seven tackles. Ben DeLuca recorded six and a half tackles. And Nate Meters recorded two and a half tackles and one interception. As far as key San Antonio Brahma's performances, quarterback Jack Cohen went 25 of 36 for 207 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and one lost fumble. Running back Kalen Bollage recorded 84 yards on 24 carries, zero touchdowns. Wide receiver Jalen Tolliver had 49 yards on three receptions, no touchdowns. Wide receiver Fred Brown recorded 36 yards on four receptions and a touchdown. Wide receiver Landon Akers had 35 yards on seven receptions, zero touchdowns. As for the defense, Drew Lewis had four tackles. Ryan Luce also had four tackles. Jordan Williams had four tackles. And Mike Scott had two sacks. In Game 4, the D.C. Defenders defeated the Seattle Sea Dragons 22-18. Some of the key defenders' performances include Quarterback Jordan Tiamu, 8 of 19, 86 yards, 0 touchdowns, 1 interception, 9 yards on 5 carries, and a touchdown. Dewan Neal had 8 tackles. Michael Joseph, 5 tackles and 2 interceptions. As for key Sea Dragon performances, quarterback Ben DiNucci went 35 of 54, 282 yards, 1 touchdown, 2 interceptions, 2 fumbles, and a lost fumble. Running back Brendan Knox, 31 yards on 11 carries and a touchdown. Wide receiver Josh Gordon, 74 yards on 6 receptions and a touchdown. Wide receiver Jacob Pearson had 95 yards on 12 receptions, 0 touchdowns. Wide receiver Blake Jackson, 51 yards on 8 receptions, 0 touchdowns. And Emmanuel Smith with 7.5 tackles. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Halbach to gain his insight on this past weekend's games and preview week two. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate taking the time to return to the show to discuss the XFL opening weekend and possibly review the upcoming weekend's games. Well, Michael, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Obviously, we're all uh, very excited to be talking about week one uh, of the XFL. Finally here. Uh, it's finally come and gone, and um, we're we're going to talk about it and review it, um, and then we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what what's to come this week as well. We have football to talk about, Mark. Not hypotheticals, not, not what we think. Like we have actual football games. It's been a long time coming, but it's awesome. Definitely is. Definitely is. We've been waiting a long time for this, and 
the the expectations were high, I think, by a lot of us. Um, and, uh, you know, the players went out there and, and they, they played. And then we're, we'll talk about the style of what kind of went on and the flow of the games. And, you know, we'll touch on some of those things as well as we review the games here. All right. Now let's just dive right into it. We'll begin with game one, the Vegas Vipers at the Arlington Renegades, with the Renegades winning 22-20. to For me, the opening drive of the Vegas Vipers was fantastic with Luis Perez leading them by going 8 of 9 for 69 yards and connecting with Jeff Bidette for that touchdown. The first half seemed to be all Vegas Vipers, but the second half was all the Renegades. That's enough of me. I'm going to get out of the way. What are your takeaways from the game? Well, we expected some things. I think um, I think Luis Perez has cemented his place in the Professional Football Hall of Fame due to the fact that he has thrown the first touchdown in each of two spring leagues within you know within a year apart. Oh, he might not make it due to his statistics, but he may make it just because uh, he has. Uh, He's been around from spring league to spring league. So he came out, you know, fire in and he did a really good job to, to start off with. Uh, you know, we, we saw the Luis Perez we th- thought we were going to see, right? Efficient, making quick throws, leading them down. And then when he did have to kind of do the off script plays or out of rhythm, as we put it, quarterbacks, you know, he was able to make a couple plays doing that, and that got them off to a quick start. And and you really thought they were going to run away with it uh, to begin with. He definitely has a, you know, a good receiving crew. Badet is, you know, put himself in the forefront there. He got, I think he got lucky on the second touchdown pass a little bit there. I think it was supposed to be a double post. When I looked at it from the end zone view. He kind of got shoved. He got rerouted a little too hard, and he was lucky Luis was scrambling, and he ran across the field because he didn't run a good route to begin with. Um, so he got a little lucky there, but, you know, that's part of the game too is just understanding the feel of it and knowing where to go if if something breaks down within the play and it gets off rhythm. But then, you know, my surprise was with the Renegades was Drew Plitt. I'm a little surprised they went with him. Now, they might see some things that I don't uh, in practice. I thought Sloter would have been somebody who would have started in this offense. Now, the other thing, too, is is Jonathan Hayes, he seemed very conservative this game. They were not taking many shots down. They wanted to establish the run. He was just, it really, really wasn't anything, you know, spectacular out of them. Now that comes with week one though, Michael, right? These teams, you know, they didn't get that little preseason game they were supposed to get against each other and maybe get some film on each other to get them familiar. They don't know how to attack each other quite yet. The offenses are behind the defenses, which are typical at the beginning of the year, even at the NFL, right? NFL scoring is always kind of down at the beginning of the year and then it goes through. But what happened here, uh, you know, throughout the game was comes down to sometimes making, you know, who makes the least amount of mistakes and the renegades didn't make that many mistakes. They just, they got beat on a couple of off rhythm plays and Luis Perez kind of had, you know, let's, let's face it, a couple boneheaded throws 
And it's hard to come back when you're, you know, giving somebody 12 points. You know, defensively, the the Renegades looked really good. I know we said we'd preview some things, but I, I think what we're going to see is, I, I think we're going to see Brett Hudley quicker than what we thought we were going to. So I think he does either get in the game next week or start for Vegas next week. Uh, I just think they need somebody that can push the ball downfield a little bit more and somebody that can run for a couple of first downs here and there. Like I said, Luis might be the, you know, he's, he's steady Eddie, you know, but I think they need somebody with, you know, that can give them some more explosiveness. Mark, that's a fair assessment. And I, I don't think it's glaringly obvious, but I think it's pretty fair because one, two pick sixes changes things really quick. And it's not that you're not allowed to have a mistake, not that you can't throw an interception, maybe even two, because there's quarterbacks that overcome it. But when those mistakes are pick sixes, that hurts. It's not just a sting. That hurts bad. And that's kind of a bad black guy to have. The other part about that is it's reported that Hunley's making $200,000 or so, right? That's money being paid that you're not going to wait long on if a guy's throwing pick sixes. Not one, two pick sixes. So I think that's a fair assessment. I I thought they did a nice job in, in, in all these games you see what the end of the game is like now with the, with the two minute warning, um, the timeout situations, having three instead of two and having the ball, you know, the clock stop once you get a first down until it's, you know, spotted and then ready to go. I thought you saw a lot of that this week and it does give, you know, that offense, that one last in Vegas had it right. They were there. And the one thing I would have did though, and, and Michael, I'm playing, I'm going to play arm, you know, coach here is if I've got an opportunity with one play to win a game, I'm going for it. So instead of going for two, I would have went for three. I would have went for the win. I would have gave us some more room. We knew we had to throw the ball anyways, give yourself some more room and, and see, if, see if you can't hit it in there and win the game. You know, so even with two pick sixes, they still had an opportunity to win the game. And that's a credit to to what their defense was able to do. You know, Vic Beasley, you know, another reason, you know, he got hurt, you know, so a big, a big factor there, you know, for the Renegades being able to kind of maybe sustain a little bit more of drives and things like that was that. I just think, you know, you're going to see, I just think Kyle Sloter can push the ball farther downfield faster than, than Drew Plitt. And that's just my opinion. And we'll see what happens when that goes. But typically, week one, I'll say it over and over again, defenses are ahead. Offenses really are running to see what's working first. And then they're kind of game planning. Um, they don't know who to really attack sometimes. Like, who's the weakest corner? Who's, you know, what side should we be running to more often? You know, where, where are those matchups? In week one, you don't get a lot of that. And so... You'll learn that over time watching film, and I think that's what will happen here. I think you'll see scoring go up in the next couple of weeks, the next few weeks, and then it'll even out a little bit, just like it does in you know, pretty much every every football league that there is. Uh, but, yeah, I, you still got an opportunity to win at the game, but uh, you, you can't make those type of mistakes and, and expect to, to win. Before we move on to game two, I think it's important – to ask this particular question. The decision to do that fake punt and actually go for it. How important of a mistake 
was that, you know, at that point in the game. I understand having faith in yourself and trying to swing the momentum because the momentum was not going in your favor. But it, how bad, like that was an important to me mo- moment of that game. How bad of a decision was that? I think you you saw a little bit of inexperience there then, right? I, I think sometimes you get emotional and you'll listen to the players around you. They always want to go for it, by the way. All right. They're always going to be there. Now, if it works, that's great. Okay. You better have something dialed up though. That's pretty cool. Right. If you're going to do that and that, you know, is probably going to work. They didn't really have a spectacular play call for that either. So, yeah, I think that comes with just a little of experience of, of knowing the situation where you're at there. I was thinking throughout the games yesterday and uh, Saturday that, you know, a couple teams have gone without their long snapper is somebody else that can do it. They don't have a specialized long snapper. And I'm starting to wonder if anybody really needs a punter. <laughs> um, the game is, you know, designed to keep the ball in between, you know, in the field of play in a in the punt situation, which is great, right? We're going to see more punt returns. We're going to see more activity there. However, you know, when I coached youth football in high school, if you didn't have a great punter, you just rugby did. And I'm just wondering, you know, you could save a roster spot and just rugby punt the thing all the time. Colleges do it all the time too. And you just take your best athlete, give them the ball and let them rugby punt it, you know? Uh, you know, so that thought kept going through my mind is as a XFL coach, I'm just wondering how long punters are going to last in this league because you really got to be getting that ball high and getting hang time um, and not really, you know, kicking it out of bounds, you know, in between the the 10 and, and the goal line. So, but yeah, big decision, you know, the touchback rules may have played into it, but yeah, when that was going on, I was, I was just like, nah, that that's not a good decision here. You need to, you need to really, you know, punt the ball here and let your defense play. So. Yeah. I just thought it was important to kind of get that in there because it's not just the pick six that really did a minute. It seemed like that was a turning point or a vital moment. And uh, it just didn't go opposite their way. All right, let's shift on to game two. The Orlando Guardians at the Houston Roughnecks with the Roughnecks winning 33 to 12. First, I'll just throw it out there. The Latimer touchdown was not a touchdown. All right. But based on the footage, I get it. Dean Blandino was right not to overturn the call. It's just my two cents. I'll get that out there. It was not a touchdown, even though I'm a guardian season ticket holder. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's the beauty of, of understanding. Um, I think, uh, you know, of getting that access right to the replay. And Dean does such a great job of, of explaining why he's making that call. When you have, you know, fans in the stands and you have people at home, they want to know that. And, so I think that's one thing that the league has gotten right, you know, is to have a command center. Now, I don't, on a weekly basis, it doesn't need to be Dean. You know, it could be somebody else. Just as long as it's the same person probably every week so that it's consistent, right? And I think that's what they're going for here. Um, but he explained exactly why. I thought it was an interception myself at first, but then the tie does go to the, Runner, so assignment, you know, uh, we've seen that. So, 
I think the ref felt that the receiver had more of the ball towards him when they rolled over and, and may have. Um, so that could have went any, either way. And Dean was right to rule it the way he was just because of the fact that they called it that on the field. And when that happens on the field, we don't get that. I mean, that one took a long time for him to break down and he was very methodical about it, making sure he wanted to get it right, which is the thing we should do here. When that happens, bang, bang, you got to make a call. And right. so that official, I don't, I don't blame the official. I don't, uh, it, it happens, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, without that, you know, the, the, the guardians don't get the, you know, too many points when it comes to that, but, uh, the outcome. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, looking at this game, you know, I mentioned, you know, in the preview episode uh, that we did that I felt Brandon Silvers could really be, really be successful in this league if he got into an offense that was similar that he ran in college. And he did. So I think it's AJ Smith, correct? The offensive coordinator has yeah. got a you know, air raid background. He's got a run and shoot background. He tailored this offense to what Brandon can do very well. Uh, Houston played unbelievable on defense. Um, But at the same time, we're also talking about, we knew the Orlando roster going into this game was probably um, one of the weakest in the league. And And their offensive line showed that that, that that's kind of true. They just could not handle one-on-ones very well. And uh, they just, they got, uh, they got in trouble there a lot. Well, but um, what I did like to see though, is, is, you know, Paxton Lynch, I didn't think he played too bad for what was going on. Um, I thought Orlando got away from the running game early. I Absolutely. felt like they were, they were hitting some nice little a gap inside zones, getting eight, nine yards early on. And then they felt like they were getting behind maybe, and they had to throw the ball a little bit more. And I just, I felt like they got away from that. So it'll be interesting there. There is one thing that I cannot stand, Michael. And it happened twice. I heard it twice during this game. I don't like it when a coach is asked why you make a decision and they say analytics. I can't stand that. That drives me insane. You know why? Because you're the one who made the decision. Take responsibility. You can maybe use that once a year. Okay. Hey, the analytics say to do it. He used it twice in one game. No. Figure out why you're going for things. Just say, hey, we thought we had, we needed to create some momentum, so we wanted to go for it. Don't blame analytics. Don't, you know, make an excuse for it. And I can't stand that. And I'm, I apologize. I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit. But if I hear it again, I'm I'm going to go off on this show on, on the coach that does this. That is just making excuses for something that you don't really want to answer, right? If you imagine if I got uh, at work, someone came up to me and said, "Hey, why did you, you know, why did you do that?" And I go analytics. <laughs> they're they're going to look at me and go, "What? What are you talking about?" So. Let's get out of that analytics thing, okay? If you feel that, why did you feel that it's important to say that? I, I don't know. I, I think that's a that's a cop-out as a coach. You know these questions are going to be asked, so be ready for an answer. You know, know why you're doing it. 
Okay. So sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit there, but that just drove me nuts. Glad you kind of brought that up because we know all coaches look at numbers. But what numbers are you looking at? You're in week one. You have no preseason. It's not like you had the year before that you're looking at the numbers from the quarterback you had from the year before. What numbers are you looking at? The averages of football everywhere? Because the thing is, like, no. You made a decision based off some generic number, essentially, right? Because it's not your team's number. It's not your statistics, not your averages. It's not your personnel. And here, maybe I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm glad you brought this up because you're right. It was a big excuse, a big deflection, however you want. He needed to own that much more. Not once, not twice, but you're right. That is a very rookie head coach situation. I love T-Buck. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and he's a former Miami Dolphin, right? I get it. Love the guy. Met the guy. I've I've even interviewed him back in the showcase. There's nothing else. But that was a rookie head coach mistake. Absolutely, Michael. You're right. And what numbers are you looking at? Um, if you are going off of all football, that's great. Okay, wonderful. But you really don't have anything in the XFL to go off of. I just it just rubs me the wrong way when somebody wants to def- like you said, deflect or blame something else. And I feel that you know, nowadays coaches, you know, they want the least amount of things possible to, to get them in trouble. So they just, they go analytics and, and, and trust me, some NFL coaches have said that. And I want to be like, no, like, okay, what did the numbers say? And why did you think that now I've always said, you know, analytics can tell you only so much, right? I can get into a whole thing on it and I just don't want to here, but it can only tell you so much at the end of the day. Sometimes you just got to go with your gut feel, right? Like, like going for two or going for three, right? It's a gut feel. Like, you know, right now it is. You can take the analytics from 2020 on going on the conversion rates. But if that was shown, people should have been going for three more. So to blame it on analytics, I'm sorry to get off on that. But that was, yeah, it's like you said, a a very rookie move. And um, I hope that I don't have to hear that again. Unfortunately, I think we will. <laughs> right. But the, the, the takeaways from this game, obviously, on Orlando's side, is who's going to be playing quarterback? Are you going to be shuffling? Because if you're going to shuffle quarterbacks, like they say, when you have two quarterbacks, you have, you have no quarterbacks. And who's going to be your starter? What are you going to do? Are you going to stick with Paxton? Is Dormady going to come in? I thought he played pretty well. They both kind of played equal if you ask me when it comes to it, but their offensive line just needs to protect a little bit uh, so much more. Um, and I think they need to worry about that before they even worry about a quarterback and what, what's going on there. And then, you know, on the Houston side right now, we're probably looking at, you know, Houston seems to be the front runner after this game. Silver's played really well, was very efficient. Uh, the defense was outstanding. And so I, we're, we're looking at probably, I can't wait for, you know, next week, this coming week's matchup a little bit more to see a little bit more of them and what they do and that they can sustain this. Well, I kind of, I question a couple of things here from this game. We'll get moving on here though. Is Houston that good that made Orlando look that bad or is Orlando that bad that made the roughnecks look that good? 
That's a question that we can't answer right now. I mean, because it does seem a little odd, like you mentioned with the running game situation. Each of the running backs were averaging over four yards per carry. One was averaging four point, what I don't have it in front of me right now, but anyway, four point something, and one was averaging five point something. To go away from the run, again, that seemed to be a rookie mistake for a head coach or, or any coach, you know, whoever's making coach Ford that's calling the, you know, the shots on the opposite side of the ball. But, you know, we look at certain things. It could be a mixture of both. It could be one's really that good. One's really that bad. Only time will tell. I get that. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's why we're, we're into, you know, we're looking forward to this week's matchup, right? Um, just to see again, who's who and, and what, and uh, you know, what's what within the league. So, but yeah, I just thought they abandoned the run a little earlier. Now I know they got behind and the equalizer there is to typically is to throw the ball because it extends the game, but in the XFL, it doesn't. So um, you got to keep moving. You got to be able to do everything pretty well. So we'll see what happens. We'll see who comes out starting at quarterback and we'll see, um, you know, if if they can get some, um, you know, make some plays out there. So, so game three, the St. Louis Battlehawks at the San Antonio Brahmas with the Battlehawks winning 18 to 15. First off, what a finish. <laughs> I wasn't sure about the fourth and 15 option instead of the onside kick. But this outcome has completely changed my mind. I'll say it, just completely changed it. Well, I th- Michael, I think we had what, two fourth and 15 attempts this week. I believe so. We're fifty percent on them, um, so we'll see where that that ratio goes. I like it because it's just it's an extension of the game. But what can happen here is, I think you can you can tire a defense out pretty fast, right? So if you go on a long drive, and you know even before the two minute drill or two minute warning, you go on a long drive and then you go down and score. Now you're fourth and 15. That defense is, you know, wearing out a little bit. And I think that's what happened here a little bit is they just had a couple of drives where they're just worn out. And the second thing you saw was you saw, you saw AJ McCarron, you know, fire the ball. Like he wanted to win a football game in the last two minutes. He trusted his receivers a little bit more to go up and get it. Right. And the receivers went up and made some plays. Obviously the pro connection was amazing. Okay. And, um, you know, to see him and his dad, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. You know, the Battle Hawks, uh, you know, as a receiver coach and a receiver, to see that's kind of special. I think that's kind of going to be a great story for the, for the XFL. But I think, you know, he went 11 for 14, two touchdowns in, in the final, you know, two minutes. And that ball was coming out different than it was all game. So, I think the Battlehawks are in in this stage of like they're trying to figure out who they are. They don't know really what their identity is. They don't know really what they're running on offense. Um, rushing yards were a little hard to come by, except for San Antonio. San Antonio ran the ball really well, controlled the clock, controlled the game. But you got to play that that final two minutes, you know, harder than anything. And I'll tell you this, Michael. I always say, right. I'm always going to say this. It's better to get hot late than it is to get hot early. And this is an example of getting hot late and leading your team down there. So it was a great comeback. 
I thought San Antonio played solid on both sides of the ball and deserved to win the game. Uh, they just needed to make one more play and they just couldn't do it. Great crowd though. I was, I'm, I'm disappointed for the people of San Antonio to have that great crowd and, and kind of come out. But when you look at that game, I think San Antonio is going to be okay. They got a running back, right? They got a little bit more of a running game than a lot of the teams do. And, you know, uh, Cone was very efficient, did very well. Um, but again, need to push the ball down the field a little bit more, need to get some more explosive plays. And sometimes you got to drum those up. So don't be surprised this week if you see the double pass rule. Somebody will use it this week. Somebody will have a, a play with it. You know, when it came to this game, we're, we're, we were focused mostly of, of the last two minutes because if you shut it off early, you missed the best part of the game, probably. <laughs> Before we move on to game four, this game between the Battlehawks and Brahmas at the Elmo Dome is exactly what the XFL needed, not just for week one, but just what it needed. Great crowd. We literally saw emotion. Like you were talking about Prol. Like with a touchdown, his dad running around. I mean, we got to see emotion. We got to see the way they celebrated a victory in week one. Like how much that meant. This is a new league. Yeah, okay, everyone's like, you know, it doesn't really have history. It's kind of pointless. You know, we hear some of this stuff on social media or whatever, right? I even hear people talking, friends I'm on the phone with, whatever. Tell me that didn't matter to those people that played that game, right? Tell me it didn't matter because it clearly did. That was not fake emotion. Do you recall seeing the look on Heinz Ward's face? Like he was just like, what What just happened? Like the emotion from the highs on the Battlehawk side versus the emotions on the Brahma side, the players, everybody, that gave us exactly what football is, whether it's college football, whether it's the National Football League. It gave us real emotion, real people that cared on both sides of the ball. That's a, It was perfect TV, perfect television. Absolutely. I mean, I was going to mention, you know, Heinz Ward and just the – deflated look that you have when that happens and you know but earlier in the game when they were showing shots of him he was pretty he was pretty happy and pretty satisfied so things can change in a hurry in a, in a football game or a professional football game I like the rules how they are because they don't necessarily the two-minute rules I'm talking about they don't necessarily favor the offense all that much all you're doing is basically letting them line up before the clock starts, you know, when you get a first down. I say the game, though, the Brahmas were out of timeouts. And even using a timeout just to kill to kill momentum, I call it the basketball timeout, right? Even if they had one of those, just to give their guys a break for a second. You know, this wasn't like an NFL game where a two-minute warning. And then, you know, uh, board, and then they go back to commercial for another minute and a half. This was, uh, we got to go line up for fourth and 15 right now, and we're going. Okay. So definitely 
anytime, you know, either way, I think on either side of the ball, if you can, if you can, you know, obviously you always want to try and save a timeout for here and there. I think people think about using them on offense there. If they would have had one, maybe that gives them that disruption that they need a little bit um, when it comes to that. But yeah, the, the emotion was unbelievable. And it was really interesting. You got to see both sides of the emotion. And, you know, like you mentioned, just a, a wonderful crowd in San Antonio. So I hope they continue to come and support. And now we're going to see there's there's two ways the Brahmas can go, right? You know, you can either go down or you can go, you can learn from this and be like, okay, we controlled that game. We should have won that game. We feel we did win that game, but the scoreboard says we don't. So let, let's go out and win a game. You know, let's go out and play like we, like our hair is on fire for the complete, you know, time and make sure that that doesn't happen again. So, like I said, you know, it's only, it's one loss now with 10 games, one loss can be, mean the difference, but um, I think they'll bounce back. I definitely do. Yeah, it's a non-division game. So, you know, that's, if you're going to lose, maybe that's the way you lose. And this is probably the time to do it because if you get this feeling now, and it feels like you won a game and you didn't quite get it right. Well, could you imagine now getting it right after being that close, really being the one that was ahead for most of the game? But there are four quarters. Teams have to play for four quarters. Even, even if it's tied going into o- overtime, it doesn't matter. All four quarters matter. And I know a lot of people are like, well, we won the three out of – no, that doesn't matter. You, d- you win the game or you lose the game. That's how it works out, folks. But it, just to kind of touch on what you were saying about the attendance with the San Antonio and hoping that it continues, from the images I saw on Twitter, a lot of people sharing things, mainly XFL Outsider or whatever uh, his account is, he posted pictures after the game, once the game was completed, the long lines that were still waiting to get Brahma's merchandise. So that is, anything, is a great indicator that they loved what they saw, despite losing, that they are totally bought into what's happening. So I can't wait to see what the crowd's going to continue to be this season in San Antonio. Absolutely. It's going to be, I think it's going to be great. So I think they'll continue to show up for them. And with that championship game being there now, um, I think they're really bought into the XFL. So. All right. So game four, we had the Seattle sea dragons at the DC defenders with the defenders winning 22 to 18. We had a little beer snake drama with some lemons and stuff. I know that's not football people, but it did impact the game for a little bit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to try to get you laughing or anything. I know we're trying to be a little serious here and go through, but there was a beer snake drama and hopefully that gets resolved for the rest of the season because that really takes away from the atmosphere there. But to get back to a football note, (laughs) this was a battle. But it was not as good of a game as I thought it would be. And then a lot of people actually claimed that it was. This is just my take. I understand the defenders won. But with less than 100 yards passing between both quarterbacks, right? That's the team. Less than 100 yards passing and less than 100 yards rushing. So less than 200 yards of total offense. Ouch for the defenders. I don't know how they pulled it out, really, when you look at it that way. But, wow, ouch. So this is uh, this is similar to the to the Renegades, you know, game. There were two interceptions that really um, decided this one. One being a pick six, okay, right during Snake Gate, 
right? Um, right when it happened. I think I think that actually rattled Danucci a little bit. I think like I don't know if he got hit by a lemon or or something, but um, and I don't condone throwing anything on the field because of safety for everybody involved there, even even the spectators. Um I bring back the snake though. Hashtag bring back the snake. Let's go. They need that there and they'll get it. So um, but the two interceptions really led to 12 points and, and was the difference. And you can play really well all game. And I liked what Danucci was doing. I think 54 times though, you know, 54 attempts is a lot, especially in game one. So when he, you know, fumbles the ball at the end of the game and, and again, they had a chance to win it at the end of the game, right? They're running a play that Danucci isn't running. They're running speed option and Danucci's not an option guy. He's not, he's never thrown an option toss in his lifetime. So I don't know why they would run that play, you know, with him in there at that time, but at the same time, you know, hang on to the ball. You might have another shot at it as well, but DC's defense early on in the, in the first half, you know, Seattle was able to move the ball up and down the field, score some points. And, you know, and same thing in the third quarter. And then it was about halfway. I feel like it was about halfway through the third quarter that Greg Williams decided he was just going to start dialing it up and bringing the heat. And he was going to show heat and not bring it and then bring heat and bring it. And it rattled Danucci. It seemed to get to him. He couldn't quite see. I think a lot of the teams used the, um, you know, the outside, I call a fast screen out to a receiver, you know, the quick throws out to a receiver out there to supplement the running game because they knew they weren't going to be able to run up front very well. Just because your offensive line needs to get reps doing that, you need to get to know what you're good at. But I thought, you know, coming out the gate, uh, Danucci, he's going to be able to play in, in June Jones's offense. And he's got a receiving crew that's incredible. So they're going to throw the ball a lot, no matter what. Um, when it comes to that, I didn't understand why they they went ahead and put Steven Montez in. To ask you that because I'll, I'll let you say your thing. Do you feel that that actually took Danucci just enough out of his momentum? He actually was building momentum. I thought he looked good, and then that seemed like the moment when Danucci came back in after Montez. That was like a shift in him. Was that just me or? No, it, it seemed that way, and I don't think it was a planned. Um, move, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Hey, we're going to get Steven some, sometimes you're, you're going into the game, right. And you're going to tell Danucci, Hey, we're going to get Steven a couple series, you know, just because, you know, he's worked just as hard as you have. You've seen what he's done in practice. You know, players usually know that, right. But this seemed a little off script and it was in an important part of the game. And I don't understand why they would do that. And so I thought it did, uh, like you mentioned, kind of get him off the game a little bit, but I, you got to stick with him. Like he, he's by far going to be, I think he's your best option. And if it, you got to ride your best option, you know, through thick and thin. And sometimes that's hard to do. Now, if they were getting their butts kicked and, you know, he was getting his butt kicked, right. Then I would have, but why would you put, I don't understand just to throw two passes. You know, Steven Montez went one for two. So I agree with you. I, I don't I don't like that move. 
I think they should have stuck with them. Uh, I think it took a series away where they need points and, and they took a series away, but the story of the game was they didn't get enough, you know, opportunities uh, to score. They moved the ball up and down the field, but didn't, didn't score points. Okay. And that'll change with them a little bit more. I think uh, once you see it. And then the other thing is, is they had two turnovers. Now that you talk about the defenders, you know, how can you win with, with a hundred less than a hundred, you know, almost less than a hundred yards passing. Right. And really not all, you know, less than a hundred yards rushing, you know, under 200 yards of total offense. Right. I didn't, I didn't do the, put the math together, but under 200 yards of total offense. So they had a short field on the interception. So that helped them because they took advantage of that opportunity. They got a pick six, took advantage of that opportunity. And then they played, played a pretty clean game. The rest of the game, they didn't turn the ball over. I, you know, I was going to say this for you here, Michael, but they're, I'm always, um, reading articles and things like that and becoming a head coach or always aspiring to kind of do that. I always wanted to find some game day goals that were easy to meet. Right. So I read an article once and I stole, you know, good, good coaches steal things from other coaches. And and if you're going to write an article, it's out there for people to take, but I kind of did my, my own version of it. And they weren't goals as if like, Oh, we have to be 50% third down conversion. We need 300 yards passing. We need to convert, you know, in the red zone, you know, 85%. I didn't want goals like that. I wanted easy, simple goals. So these are the five things I listed yesterday at each game, right? My first goal was always score first, start fast. Now that's any part of the game, whether it's defense, offense, special teams, score first. Okay. The second goal is um, explosive plays. Who wins the explosive play battle? Those are runs of yards, passes over 20 uh, could be an explosive play in special teams. Could be an explosive play in defense too, as well. Who's winning that explosive play battle? Okay, um, so that's that's two. Number three is turnovers. Who wins the turnover battle? Right. Number four, who wins the special teams battle? Okay, and that could just be making field goals. If you hit three field goals, you're probably winning the special teams battle, right? And then the the fifth one was score last. And I say if you can get three out of five you can win the game. Typically you win the game if you get three out of five. Okay. So in game four, let's take a look at those, you know, scoring first. Let's see if I can find my notes here. I can also look this up in the statistics here, you know, scoring first, you know, Seattle won that one. So one Seattle Um, explosive plays. I think um, trying to think of, who I had on that as well. I think Seattle won on that a little bit too. I think they had some big plays uh, when it comes to that. But then you look at the other three and special teams turnovers and scoring last, we're all DC. Okay. So it's, you get three out of five of those, you can win a football game and, and they were able to get that. So, I mean, really taking a look at that and you know, they, they were able to get their conversions too. I think they, they scored on a couple two point conversions. That was the difference. So those are getting to be more and more important. So, so touching on the, the conversions, just real quick, Michael, too. I don't know if you noticed this. I'm not a big fan of bringing in another quarterback for the conversions. <laughs> I didn't understand that. 
if, or I if, do want... if you're in rhythm, wouldn't you keep the guy that's in rhythm that's built the chemistry and hit it flowing? Uh, whatever terminology you want to use, it does seem really weird to bring somebody else in, but hey, that's well, why I'm sitting here talking about it, and that's probably why they're doing right. it, you know. So right, but but my I can understand the thinking. The thinking is is those the two teams that did it, Houston and uh the defenders, right? The two teams that were like, okay, this guy can run, right? He adds the plus one runs to the, the weapons, right? However, you also minimize the playbook and you also bring attention to the plus one runs when you bring in a new guy, right? It's not surprising anybody then when you run an option or you run anything. Now, the defenders executed brilliantly on a power read play with Derek King and uh, the offensive line did a beautiful job busting open a hole there. But I just don't understand it because now you're eliminating yourself a little bit. You're bringing a guy off the bench that's cold, right? Are you going to throw the ball then at a two-point conversion or or what's going to happen? So I'm not a big fan of it. It may have worked once but or twice, but you know, we'll see how that continues to go and see, see where that leads teams to be. All right. We got through four games, but we have four more on the horizon. So now we have an idea. It's a small glimpse. A lot of teams are probably conservative. You know, they're trying to feel out their team as well because it's the first time we've heard a lot of coaches say we haven't been tackling in practice. We haven't been this and that. So, okay. We don't have the full picture, but we do have a better idea now of maybe what teams are looking to do, where chemistry is at least. All right, so let's take a look at game one. We have the 1-0 St. Louis Battlehawks at the 0-1 Seattle Dragons. What are you anticipating? Well, you know, key note here is this is a Thursday night game. Okay. Um, going to Seattle. Um, so what I'm looking at here is I think, I really think Seattle bounces back here, playing at home, short week. I feel like they can bounce back. Now, I know they played the later game as well. Short for them. Really short. It is really short. But I think if they can still build off the momentum that they had and put points on the board when they, they have that time, that's going to be great. I think he, uh, the battle Hawks are still going to be trying to figure out a little bit of, of what AJ McCarron can do and what he can't do and what they should be. I mean, I think it's going to be a good game, but I, I do think C- I, Seattle's got to jump on this one. I think they can come out. And they can really do some things. So being the short week, being at home, I think, you know, Seattle usually draws pretty well too. I don't know what they'll draw on a Thursday night. And that place can get loud in a hurry. Um, but again, you know, don't count the Battle Hawks out. <laughs> like I just wouldn't count them out. But if I was picking, I'm putting if I was, now this isn't a gambling podcast, right? But if I was, if I just pick them, my you know, I'd I'd be going with Seattle here. I look at this and I can't help but look at the non-football portion of this. I know everyone's like, wait, wait, we finally got football and you want to talk about non-football? I'm like, what, what, what is wrong with you? We look at the National Football League, right? And they always talk about that West Coast to East Coast travel and how that impacts teams. Well, let's take a real close look here at the Sea Dragons. They traveled from Arlington 
to D.C. and back. On the late game, they also, despite being the home team, they're making the trek from Arlington to Seattle. You look at St. Louis, they were only in San Antonio on the earlier game. I understand the same day, so they, but they have a shorter travel off of victory. I can't help but look at the non-football portion here and wonder how that impacts a game on Thursday night. I mean, it can. I'm going to tell you a, a story. You know, this is a Division Three story. We're traveling one morning, and, and in Division Three, you travel the morning of. And we're, we're driving two hours north to play a conference rival that is for first place, basically. And when we get back from breakfast and the bus isn't there, there's no bus for us to get up there. So real quick, coaches meet in a little huddle. We call the AD. We get the little buses together. We make sure all the upperclassmen, all the people are on the little bus. We get another one going. We finally get a bus that shows up, you know, to take the rest of the team going. And, and you're just going, oh, God, we're starting this, this out like this. I'll tell you what, Michael, we went up there and we whooped their ass. It didn't even phase our kids. If anything, it gave them more energy. They, they were laughing about it and, you know, dealing with it. So can non-football things affect a football game? Absolutely. But sometimes, you know, our coach took it in stride because he's, he was doing it, you know, uh, doing it so long. This wasn't the first time it had happened to him. And he goes every time. Every time it's, it's worked out for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, just a little side note there that, yeah, it can impact you, but you know what, really the, the, these guys will get their rest. The coaches don't know what to do. I don't think we're going to see the cleanest football game played on Thursday night, but we never did on Thursday night, really, you know, during the NFL season either, these games are a little, they can be a little rough sometimes and, a little choppy, but we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe they, maybe, maybe it's just a score fest or maybe it's not. So um, I think they'll do what they, they have to do and, and do that. But yeah, I mean, it's worth noting, but I still think Seattle, Seattle needs to win this game. I feel, I mean, if there's, there's some must wins already, like I always say though, what do I always say? It's better to get hot late than early. So we'll see. I feel like they can, they can still put together a win and, and go through this, but, you know, for the Battle Hawks, it'd be nice. Okay. If they could go three and oh and go home, you know, or even two um, week and four. Yeah. So um either way, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'll be watching Thursday night for sure. Uh, you know, I'll set everything else aside for it. But I'm not too worried about having to fly here, fly there. Uh, you know, you just be a professional and do your job. You know, that's all that's all you can be asked. Right. They have to be professionals. I mean, obviously at this point, that's, you got to be able to shake it off, but I want to just, I know it's not a crazy statistic. It should be pretty obvious, but if anyone wants to take a look here, we had four games. Home teams dominated the weekend. However, the one away team was the St. Louis Battlehawks. So despite going and playing on the road, in front of an energized crowd in San Antonio. I'm not saying I'm picking who's going to win here, but they also had that feel-good last kind of last-minute comeback. It just seems like a lot of things could go in that favor 
And I'm just looking at those little things. So I'm not picking anybody. It's now going to be a divisional game. Yes. We're going to start seeing offenses probably open up a little bit more. And if we just saw Danucci sling it 54 times, I can only imagine how many times he's going to sling it at home folks. So it's going to be an interesting game. No doubt. Yeah, definitely. You know, bringing that up, they were the one road team to, to definitely, you know, be able to, to pick up the W, but you know what? They're also the only team that can play that mantra right now of road, right? They can play that and they can use that motivationally and, you know, Hey, we got three road games. We know it. Don't use it as an excuse. You're on the road. Do your, you know, do your job. Let's go up there. Let's be our road warrior and then let's come back. So, you know, I've, I've used it in, in, in the locker room, right? You know, you got a couple weeks or you get three weeks that you're on the road and you use it. And, and um, so they're the only ones that can really use that right now. So, Oh, absolutely. I don't know if anybody else is going to have that many road games in a row either this year. I haven't looked at the schedule that close, but they might be the only ones that can literally use it. All right, moving on to game two. We have the 1-0 D.C. Defenders taking on the 0-1 Vegas Vipers at Cashman Field. So we get to see our little uh, minor league baseball stadium come to life and see how that's going to look on television. What do you think about this matchup in Sin City? Oh, I'm liking this one. I I think this is going to be interesting, okay? Like I mentioned, you know, Greg Williams decided to to start bringing the house and bringing a little bit more and and disguising things a little bit more, you know, later in the game, you know, this past week. You know, Vegas has got to be ready for that. And I think you need somebody that's a little bit more mobile to be able to kind of recognize those things. Maybe somebody that, you know, has seen it in an NFL scout team guy or seen it in an NFL game. I think Brett Hundley is your best chance here. And, you know, you can't sit him for two weeks and think that, okay, he's just going to get better by week three or four. We'll just get him in there and let's go. You brought him in for a reason. Let's do it. Let's see what you got. Okay. Perez is a great, he's going to be, you know, a backup for you. And he's going to be the ultimate professional for you anyways. So if something goes wrong with Hudley, you know, Luis is going to step in and do his job. I think that they're going to need to with the matchup and how now um, otherwise on, on the other side of the ball, you know, Vegas, you know, played pretty well defensively, right? I mean, they gave up 12 points on offense. So, I mean, they played defensively. And D.C. is still trying to figure out who they are, right, and who they will be, okay? And uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can string together some things a little bit more um, on offense to get them in that aspect. But right now the talk of D.C. is going to be that, that that defense is coming after you. And I think you need some experience at the helm on the other side of the ball to, to be able to handle that. I look at this matchup, and I mean, it's like both defenses are looking solid. But when you look at both offenses, they weren't lighting the, you know, yes, the Vipers were lighting it on fire in the first half, but they are also, Luis gave away the pick sixes in the second half. So would you look at strong defenses against offenses that didn't quite deliver in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, it kind of looks like it's tough to pick it. 
I, I'm just saying when you look at it, you didn't see I I mean, I'm not seeing you. I didn't see enough to be like, okay, this offense is proven more here. If anything, maybe the Vipers did. But if you're gonna take Luis Perez out, even start splitting it up, now you're gonna shake that up. Whatever chemistry was built with between the two best friends between Perez and that, you know, I know you said you kind of didn't run the best route, but it worked out. And so, I mean, if something is going to change now, whatever was working may not be. So, I mean, like it just seems like an interesting pairing, two solid defenses, two offenses today, really a hundred percent deliver one way or another. So that it's definitely gonna be intriguing. And I mean, and you throw the stadium into the mix, maybe it's enough to, to bring the Vipers back around, you know, because that might have been just enough that willed the defenders to their victory in one way or another. Because that crowd was pretty solid despite being twelve thousand something. I mean, most of the teams did or the stadiums did not draw well. But you know, uh, we'll have to see. And we know this is not gonna be a crazy, you know, turnout because it's only a nine thousand seat stadium. And we'll have to see, you know, on uh, such a release, a short release there of selling tickets, how that actually turns out in Vegas. You know, 9,000, though, in a small stadium can be a little bit more, you know, disruptive, I think, than I think you saw that at, at the D.C. game. I mean, you, you get 12,000 in that stadium and, and you really got some some noise a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting. A lot of times, you know, every time you think it's going to be a super defensive battle, it winds up being a score fest. So, you know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, but the, we're so early in the, in the year, you know, this one, like you said, I, I don't know if I could pick this one. Like if, I mean, but if I had to, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, you know, a, a coach that has been a head coach before even you know, in, in, in DC, because he's, he's trying to figure out who they are right now. And he's going to lean on that defense. And that defense is, is it's going to make some bad mistakes and give up some big plays, but it's also going to make some big plays. So. All right. Moving on to game three, we have the Owen one San Antonio Brahmas at the Owen one Orlando guardians. I will be in attendance. So I get to attend my new guardians team just different city. But anyway, I look here. Obviously we had kind of just been rough with the guardians a little bit. We didn't kind of beat them too bad, but uh, I think it's pretty obvious that is, this is the Brahma's game to lose, right? I mean, this is theirs. Yeah. I just think their Brown game's going to control this game and they're going to pull it out. They're going to understand. They're going to learn from last week the, in the final minutes. And I think, you know, Orlando, like I said, uh, you, right now, who's going to start a quarterback? You know, is it Paxton? Is it Dormany? So, like, there's so many questions with Orlando all the time that it's hard not to, to lean towards San Antonio on this one because I think they can – I think Jack Cohn is efficient. Um, as long as he does not make too many mistakes, they're going to, they'll do just fine. And that's, that's typical, right? If your quarterback's not throwing interceptions and you're not fumbling the ball around, you're going to do great. So I don't, I don't really, you know, I think San Antonio runs away with this one. Um, we'll see though, you know, you know, I, I hope the guardians can you know put up a fight a little bit and find out who they are a little bit more and, and not lean on analytics so much. So, so, 
you had talked about, you know, uh, quarterbacks. We were talking about game one a little bit. And it came out during the broadcast that Buckley is planning on rotating the QB2 each week. And the whole plan is to get them always involved. So if that's the case, we're looking at a Paxton Lynch, DeAndre Francois tandem. What I don't like about this, and I'm not trying to bag on anybody. If we look at the 12 points, the one touchdown wasn't a touchdown. It should have been an interception, what everyone's saying, right? So let's take Paxton Lynch's touchdown away. The only other guy that threw a touchdown is not going to suit up. So I, I'm just saying, hopefully DeAndre Francois can deliver. And I, I just don't think you need to, this is a professional football league. Like make a decision, be a, you know, be a head coach, make a decision. They're hard to make, but that's why you're a head coach, you, you know? And if you're worried that, you know, maybe somebody's not playing because of that. Well, then make that decision. But like I said, the old saying goes, if you got two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. And so you need one guy, one guy that you know that you're backing, that people are backing. It's the same way. I mean, we we see it in the NFL too, right? You, If you get a quarterback controversy, typically when you got two, you got zero because then the locker room split, you know? And so... I just feel like make a decision, live with it and, and let's go. Right. Like I don't, I'm not big on rotating quarterbacks. I, I can't, I just don't like it. Like let that person lead the team. Okay. They're there for a reason. You brought them in for a reason. If you don't like them, find somebody else, you know, sign somebody else. I know, I know there's not a ton out there, you know, that are willing to probably do it, but you know, if you don't trade for somebody, you know I mean? Like, you know, trades in the XFL are great right now. The guys don't even have to move cities. You know, they can just, they're just going to a different facility. Like, it's great. They don't even have to leave town, you know? Um, so I don't know. I'm always, I would start one and, and move on from there. Now I understand, you know, maybe if you got a preseason, right. And you got a quarterback controversy or, you know, you're a college coach and you got a quarterback, maybe you, you go a game or two and you figure it out, but then you stick with that one and, you know, you, you move on from there. and that's just kind of the way I believe it. I think Paxton did, I think he did enough to be the starter and I would ride him. I think he can, he can get you those explosive plays that you need. He can get the ball downfield. So. Well, you have to be fair about the situation too. Paxton came in late. So, I mean, it's not like he had been sitting there for all five weeks of camp building upon, you know, chemistry, really in depth in the playbook. So probably they're a little limited with Paxton anyway based off just his late arrival, but it'll be interesting to see, see how it's playing out. That's all. I just, it kind of seems like the Bron, you know, the Brahmas are the uh, likely favorites here, but I mean, it, we'll have to see how they bounce back too. You would assume they were close, but no cigar. So, well, again, we'll see what happens this weekend. Last but not least, we have game four, the Texas showdown returns. With the one and O Arlington Renegades at the one and O Houston Roughnecks, that's a six-game winning streak for the franchise, if we want to call them a franchise, if the namesake of you know a team. What are you anticipating here? This is a you know both wins, so it's it's pretty interesting. 
yeah, this is, this is, you know, if there was a game of the week, this is it, right? Um, I think this is going to test Houston's offense a little bit more. Um, You know, the Renegades defense will test them a little bit more. And I think the, the Renegades will, you know, they'll get, they got a smart coaching staff, you know, I thought, like I mentioned, I thought, you know, Hayes was a little conservative in his play calling, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they open it up a little bit more and can do some things and get some more explosive plays, or if they're going to try and lean on their defense and lean on um, field position and, and that, but I don't think they're going to be able to, I think, I think Houston's got enough firepower on offense to be able to, you know, uh, drive the ball down the field and, and score and be explosive too, at the same time. So, this is going to be a great matchup. Uh, you know, Sunday night's going to be really good. I'm hoping, I'm hoping the Houston fans, you know, come on out and support them in this, in this regard. I think, you know, um, maybe even some renegades fans make the trip, but, uh, you know, this should be a good atmosphere, uh, for the, you know, for the Sunday, you know, kind of the Sunday night spotlight game. Right. Yeah. I mean, whoever kind of, takes this one is, is, you know, in the Texas showdown and, you know, is going to, you know, be off to a really good start, uh, you know, this year. So if I was picking though, I'd, 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 I'd be leaning towards the roughnecks. I just think if Brandon, like I said, I think Brandon Silvers can be an MVP in this league if he plays like he did last week and can continue to, to sling it like that. He's got the arm strength. To, to do everything. And he's got an understanding of this offense be, uh, of just having so many snaps in it. I think we really get to see what the truth is from the roughnecks guardians game here. This game from the roughnecks, they're either really that good or the guardians are really that bad because they're going to go up against a team where the defense actually delivered. That's what put them back in the game and what, essentially won it for them. The two pick sixes, they just delivered. So going up against a, a solid defense. Now, I've been very vocal that I think the Roughnecks are the best team in this division. They got a win, but it didn't actually come from their offense. So it's going to be very interesting now to see how this kind of comes about. I just think that if that defense can slow down that offense that was slinging the ball, that looked really good against the Guardians. But, you know, it is early and we have to see what the reality actually is. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because of the styles, too. You know, Arlington was huddling and really slowing the game down a little bit. And I think that was part of the issue with Plitt, you know, with their quarterback, because he's not getting a good view of everything right off the bat. Um I think if you're huddling in this league, you're doing it wrong. Like you, you are completely not using the tools. I understand maybe the offensive line being right there and getting, you know, but get that call out and get them up there so they can see what's going on. I just feel like uh, their pace of play was much slower. So they were getting up to the line of scrimmage and you don't really have time to tell the quarterback to check. You don't really have time for the quarterback to really see the pre-snap look to maybe see a tendency in that regard. So I think in these leagues a little bit, you gotta, you gotta quicken the play. You gotta quit. You don't have to quicken the play. You gotta quicken the play call and being getting up to the line of scrimmage. I believe that in the NFL too. So, I mean, like I think some teams take way too long getting up there 
And here's the other thing. You're playing a 10 game season and I know your roster is only, you know, 50, 51 players, but really 50, right? You know, but that roster is going to turn over a little bit. And I know you got your inactives as well. So I understand going no huddle and going speed all the time is tough, but you're, you're only playing 10 games. And that's why colleges are able to do it. Whereas in the NFL, you're playing 17 games. You're wearing yourself out for the end of the year. So there's an interesting strategy on the pace of play that we're going to see as well. And if the renegades can run the ball, and do that, then they're going to control this game a little bit more. If, if the Renegades win, it's going to be close. It's going to be, you know, obviously a field goal game, two-point game, three-point game. I feel like if Houston wins it, it's a it's a seven, eight-point win, you know. Um, so, but it, I'd like to see, you know, what the pace of play is from both teams and how that's going to affect each other. So. Another aspect of the preview, we saw ownership front and center at each of the four games. Hey, I'm grateful that this ownership purchased the league out of bankruptcy back in August of 2020. Okay, I'm grateful the league is back, and I understand star power helps sell things. But I hope for week two, if they're in attendance, they just slide off the field, sit in an owner's box. And I hope we get more football, less interviews at halftime, you know, all that stuff. I would like to start it being more football. And I know I've named this show player 54 after what Dwayne, the rock Johnson has pushed the player 54 story. Heck there's even another aspect now with a show on ESPN player 54 chasing the XFL dream. But at this point, I like it to be more football. And we know that that point has been made over and over again. We don't have to make it pregame, halftime, and any other time they could squeeze it in. So I'm I'm ready for just more football. So I know we don't know what's going to happen with that, but hopefully that's what we get here in week two and beyond. Yeah, Michael, just a note on that. I don't, you know, I'm here to to talk a little bit more football than I am the the other aspects of it, but I do have my opinions on the other aspects. And I wanted to see that. Like months ago, I mentioned to my wife, even they should have followed the rock to all the games, right? And and for them to do that, I think it shows that they were trying to support all the players and all the coaches and all the staffs that put this together. But I think you're right. I think it's time for them just to to settle down. We don't need any catchphrases. We don't need anything else. We just, we need, if you're there and they show you in the box, hallelujah, they show owners in the box all the time in the NFL games. That's fine. You know, um, if, if they do a small five minute bit at halftime, that's fine. I'm not watching it anyways. I'm something else to get ready for the second half. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think it's time to let the players shine, let the city shine. And, you know, let it, let it be about football and, um, you know, push it on, you know, obviously they can push it on their social media as much as they can. And, and that's smart. That's just being smart and marketing um, in, you know, with the, with the number of followers that, you know, the rock has that not utilizing that would be just, that would be terrible. I mean, that would be hurtful actually. So 
Um, I agree with you there, and I hope that they they have a sense of that. And I think they do. I think they get they got a good sense of what people want here. So, but I'm looking forward to you know the, this week's slate of games, seeing some different venues, right? Uh, seeing some different fan bases come out, really take a look, and it is. And and um, I think I think people will you know they'll catch attention to it as as it goes moves on along. Well, Mark, once again. It has been a pleasure, and I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show and discuss the XFL's opening weekend as well as previewing week two's games. And uh, I know we've discussed and we've shared with everyone that we're planning on doing this throughout the season. There might be a few hiccups with uh, my bachelor party and wedding, and then eventually you even are a family man, so you got to take a family vacation. So we will figure that out as we go along here, folks, but it is a pleasure having you and uh, you know, your insight is valuable to at least me. And I, I know I had seen on social media that a lot of people were, you know, either welcoming you or congratulating you and said that they thought you'd be a great addition to the team. So hopefully you get to see more of that. Now that you're putting yourself a little bit further out there, sharing a little bit more of your insight, your thoughts. And I know people are fans of whatever their teams are, but hopefully they don't take it too much to heart. If you're bagging on their team a little bit, it's going to happen to all of them eventually. So, but looking forward to week two, Michael, let's, uh, let's watch some more football. We got it. You know, I like, I kind of like Thursday games just because it's during the week. Uh, I just hope the play is well when it comes to that. So I'm looking forward to week two. All right. Good deal. So I don't know if you want to throw yourself out there one more time, Mark, in case somebody didn't catch you in the last episode, do you want to put your, your handle out there? Yeah, you can catch me on my Twitter handle at Mark underscore Halbach. I'll spell that out for you. It's, uh, you know, at M-A-R-K underscore H-A-L-B-A-C-H. Uh, feel free to, you know, follow me and connect with me and uh, talk some football if you want. Uh, you know, I do have a regular job, so sometimes, you know, getting back to people can be difficult, but I'll do the best I can. But uh, like I said, looking forward to week two. and. And uh, we're going to see some good football again this week. So, Yes, that's the hope anyway. We should keep building upon week after week. Well, good deal, Mark. And uh, thank you once again. We'll catch you next week. Take care, Michael. Once again, Mark's knowledge and insight is a treat, and I am looking forward to doing this each week. As I have also previously mentioned, I will now be joined by former Tampa Bay Vipers and current Carolina Panthers tight end Colin Thompson to discuss the XFL and its impact on his career. Welcome, Colin. I appreciate taking the time to join the show to discuss your time with the XFL 2.0 Tampa Bay Vipers and perhaps this current iteration of the league. Excited to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Before we get started, I always believe it is beneficial for our listeners if you were to provide some of your background to help inform our listeners so they have a better understanding of who you are. So I'll just kind of do a little quick blurb here. You tell me where I'm wrong or what I'm missing, okay? Wikipedia does have some crazy things on there. They said I got in a fight with my high school football coach. I've never fought my high school football coach in my life, which I'm bummed because, listen, we all use Wikipedia. Everybody says they don't, but you're lying to yourself. We don't. I'm not saying this is from Wikipedia, but continue. Sorry to cut you off. Try. No, it's all good. I, I was interjecting myself while you were talking. It's not good when you have a guest. You know, you should let the guest talk. Nah, it's a podcast. Have fun with it. <laughs> it's the XFL. It is. 
Man, it just won't go away. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. Well, I'll just go down through. You tell me what I'm missing or where I'm wrong. Okay. Okay. You began your collegiate ball at Division One Power Five Florida University before yep. transferring to Temple University. Got medically Most- disqualified there in the middle. I didn't want to leave. Kicking and screaming. Palm trees, best football in the world. Why would I leave there? I broke my right foot twice, broke my left foot, and they said, you got to go so you can run around and play with your kids and coach you sports when you're older. If you don't, you'll never be able to walk again, which was a lie. It was a business move, and it was kind of dirty college football that people don't know about. And long story short, I transferred to Temple because it was my only option. That's insight that I would have not have known. So That's why I, I throw it in there. It. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great information to have. It's really terrible that it happened to you. Hey, it's it's all part of the journey, man. It's all good. I have no regrets. Right, because uh, to where you are today, and we'll we'll get there. We'll navigate that path. Yes, we will. So post college, you made the tradition uh, the transition to the professional game, where you had opportunities with the New York Giants. Yep. Eventually, that led emergency, to- epi- emergency appendectomy. Woke up in the morning in New York City on the ground, rolling around after our first preseason game. Five plays against Pittsburgh Steelers. Woke up. Stomach was killing me. Went to the uh, facility. They didn't know what was going on. Went to the emergency room. The team doctor came in and said, oh, shit, we got to take out your appendix. It's about to bust. And then was told I was going to be on the team for the next two, three weeks. We'll let you recover. And was not. I was 48 hours later, I was cut. Fast forward 10 weeks. Zach Miller. With the Bears, goes down, almost loses his leg and his life in the end zone. And I went to a workout with the Bears, and John Fox and Ryan Pace brought me on to be the practice squad tight end. One door closed, another one opened. However, I started the podcast in that that period of time, too, my media company and podcast. We'll definitely give you your plug. If you want to take it now, go ahead, or we can wait to the end. I well, everyone... not for long media. Not for long media. Check it out. NFL stands for not for long, not for long media. Right. Perfect, actually. It was a brilliant name in the yep. logo and everything. Everyone definitely go check it out. Thank you. But that door closed. And eventually, you had an opportunity, if I remember correctly, with the Alliance of American Football with the Birmingham Iron. Correct. Bears cut me the day they traded for Khalil Mack. Drove 13 hours straight for the night back home. Very upset. Should have been on the team, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe not. But at least in the practice squad. And then, um, yeah, doing marketing, calling games for Temple football, which I ended up doing for three years as a sideline guy. When I was in and out of the league and played for the Alliance American Football League. This time, a long time ago, I was sitting at the Guinness factory right here in Baltimore. We live in Annapolis now. And uh, my buddy called me, who was a recruited me to Florida, who I haven't talked to since Florida, and said, hey, are you in shape? Are you ready to play? And of course, after four or five beers at Guinness Factory, you're ready to go. So I was ready to go. I told him I was ready. And two days later, after um, President's Day, they flew me down and I worked out and they signed me on the team. Trent Richardson was our running back. It was the Alabama Birmingham Iron. So we had like all the Alabama guys, all the Auburn guys, that kind of contingency. Yeah. And current quarterback, Luis Perez, uh, hey, with, uh, you know, the biggest Vipers. But you know, he's kind of a staple in these alternative spring. Great football. dude. Love Louie, man. I love them. Love them. But eventually that was short lived as most alternative leagues have had the history of being, unfortunately. But then iteration number two of the XFL came around and you played with the Tampa Bay 
wipers. Eventually, you springboard that to the National Football League again, which we'll talk about that here in a little bit. We've seen this wave of alternative leagues. It's literally peak of the, you know, tide, low tide, back and forth, right? Beast famine. When you have it, you have it. When you don't, you don't. However, we are in a serious feast mode right now with a lot of leagues popping up, even an abundance of arena leagues for those that have that opportunity. Obviously, you're a guy that was on the National Football League radar, and now you were out of it, but now you're back. How important are these leagues to the football ecosystem? Extremely important because it allows players to not hit rock bottom. And what rock bottom looks like is as the year goes by, another draft class comes through. No film, no tape, maybe a practice squad, cup of coffee, enough to make, you know, 30 grand, keep you afloat. You're living at home with your parents, you're living with somebody, you're fine, you know, you're training at your college, it doesn't cost you any money. But it is absolutely massive because then the next recruiting class comes through. And then you're two years out and say there's another 150 tight ends that come through. No tape, no nothing. So they are beyond massive. And I wish it was just the XFL because I think it would clean things up a little bit. And the XFL was, listen, I don't want to speak badly about any other leagues. I think they're great, have multiple, they're, they're awesome. But I think the NFL, CFL, XFL would be really good. Um, but you know what, though? If they're going to make them, if somebody's going to fund them and they're going to pay the guys a little bit of money, there'll be a line out the door to play in them because guys want to continue to play and extend their careers and show tape what they could do. So, hey, listen, no harm, no foul. Awesome. Um, but to answer your question, like I said, it's massive because then you don't hit rock bottom as quick. You know, you make – like I'm pretty open about – you can look out what everybody makes. You know, so you're, you're like your first year in the league on the practice squad for eight weeks. So you make like – whatever, somewhere around 50 grand. Okay. I could keep moving. All right. Um, the next year, uh, I made like three, four grand OTAs. I made like 10 grand. Right. And th- between that and training cave, maybe like 10 grand. Okay. There's a start. And then you get cut and then you're out and you're like, all right, well, I'm in the AAF. They're going to pay you. You're going to make mm, 40 grand. They're paying you well, eight grand, eight grand a week. The whole stick with the AAF was we're going to pay you like a practice squad guy, but you're going to get paid uh you know you're gonna excuse me get tape so that was a difference you can be a practical money guy but also get the film and you make you know from over 40 40 50 grand that year and then the next year you're in the xfl 10 grand but training camp and the little ota they did in december when i was there and then another you know vince mcmahon was nice enough to not end the league and paid us all of our salaries in full which was Unbelievable. Tons of respect for that first class when the COVID hit. And then you make another 40, 50 grand. You're like, okay. All right. You know, um, I'm still living at home. I'm still finding a way. Um, you know, it's, it's a good deal. You know, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm staying afloat. I'm kicking the can down the road. Um, continuing to play. I'm continuing to sharpen, you know, that sword for lack of better terms. I'm meeting new coaches. Those coaches are going to the NFL. I mean, how I got to the XFL was I barely was drafted in the XFL. Really? Because, you know, people are looking at stats and all this crap instead of like football stuff. And like, I went to the XFL combine up in, up in New York there. And like, I'm not running a, honestly guys, like 
I'm not running a 40 and cone drill. And like, I, you got to train for that stuff to do it right. Like, I don't want to disrespect that. Like, yeah, my numbers wouldn't be that great anyways. That's not who I am. So um, I like long snapped and did one-on-ones. And like, I don't even know anybody even took my name down. It's just like, all right, end up being the starting tight end in the XFL with, with Truesdale and Goolsby. We had a great room. And uh, Pete Mangarian was our tight end coach and with the Vipers, who was a tight end coach for New England um, for years, head coach of Columbia. Now he's the O-line coach for the Brahmins. So my point was, you're making all these connections. These guys are leaving. I was friends with somebody through the guy who brought me to the AAF was a buddy of mine from, um, you know, a buddy of mine from University of Florida who was a recruiting guy there for a little bit. And he remembered me from my days at Florida and we've always stayed close around the years. And he's like, Hey, you ready to go? So I came in there and then I connected with somebody again, how important is the, this league? I connected with someone who was with Birmingham and he moved on and went to the Vipers staff as an operations guy. And he was pounding the table for me saying, draft this guy, draft this guy. And I was barely drafted in one of the last rounds, you know, I ended up having a significant impact on the team and becoming one of the leaders on the team. And, you know, I ended up playing 400, 500 snaps in the NFL. So still going, you know, so I think, it's the best because a you keep kicking the can down the road, you make a little bit of money. B it puts you in front of people film wise, and C it helps you make more connections if you handle your business the right way and you're professional. You can make more connections that are really what's going to help you get to the next level. The proof is in the pudding. All right, you can't deny when people bridge from these alternative leagues that have been essentially cast away. Right, that's what we see every year. X my guys drafted. X my guys just cast away. X my guys are brought in that are undrafted, still cast away because there's only 53 active spots and practice squad. You know, it's just not enough for everybody. Like you said, people are coming out of it. But when yeah. people bridge that from the XFL or any other league back to the National Football League and stick like you have, like PJ Walker has with the same team, even, yeah. you know, you had your other teammate there that played in the XFL, Kenny Robinson. Robinson, who now is with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I, I understand he has signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so we'll see if he sticks here for 2023. But either way, when you see guys stick one way or another, and there's more guys that are you know, still in the National Football League. But let's talk about that. How did one, how has it helped you not only get the opportunity, but did it really help you and were you really behind once you got back to the National Football League, clearly not because you're still you're still there. No, I think honestly it was an advantage because I was rolling in playing games in March, and these guys haven't played a game since January, December. So I came in OTA. We didn't have OTAs there because of COVID, but I think it allowed me to like train, get physically ready to go, get my body going, and then because of COVID, we had that time off. So I think some guys it will be a really tough if you say you're on a practice squad on an NFL team. You decide not to sign with that team and play in the XFL. You just trained the whole offseason before, played on the team in training camp, played some games in the practice squad. You know, then you join the XFL, then you go to OTAs, then you play a training camp. So it's a lot of wear and tear on your body. Um, so personally, you know, I, I think the league is fantastic that way, but for the grinders out there, you got to grind and that's what it takes to make your way up to the top. Like, let's be real, right? You have to take advantage of all the opportunities given to you. So the XFL is an amazing thing and they're taking good play, good care of the players down there. Right. That was what I really enjoyed. Like coach Trespin took great care of us and it runs into the ground. It didn't get chaotic. 
it looked like real football. And I think that's what it looked like this weekend too. Some physicality, which is great. Keep it that way. But I mean, you heard him. A lot of the coaches before the game are like, hey, we haven't hit yet. I think that's a that's a good thing for those players. Some of those guys are just coming off NFL seasons or some guys have been training. So it's, it's a good thing. So you open that door. Let's talk about this past weekend. How much of it did you watch? Obviously, you, you heard coaches talking about having started hitting yet. What do you mean? So how much how much of the games did you watch this past weekend? I watched. Sorry, you went in and out there a little bit. I probably watched three different games, 20 minutes of each game. All right. So and what did you think? Uh, I wish I would watch more. That's my one regret. But we had a lot going on, so I just, I just couldn't. But I thought it was just normal football. I thought it was like we were watching another game. I don't want to say it's an NFL game, right? But because you know all these things, there's always more to the NFL, right? I know this guy's on my fantasy team. There's way more to it, right? But um, I thought it was a, a great product. I really did. I mean, kudos to you know Mrs. Garcia and The Rock, like, and all the ownership group. Like, that's an endeavor. That's an endeavor. That's a major investment, like into human beings. Um, so the uh, the way they doing it with the hub, tremendous. I'm sure everyone's like, that's kind of weird. I'm sure there's a big financial bonus to that. Plus, if a player gets cut, he can pick up and go right across the street and play for that team. So it's really good. It kind of creates that nucleus, that atmosphere. Um, so I, I thought it was great. Visually, fantastic. Great job by ESPN, Fox, whoever did it. I mean, it was ESPN, I think, for the most part. Could be wrong. Yeah. So I was just, again, I think the product is first class. Like. It's the best version of a minor league football system you could do. And that's my point of like, let's just have one and let's make it better. But hey, there's guys in USFL, like buddies of mine that are, I think, bottom of the roster NFL guys that are going to be playing in the USFL and they didn't get picked by the XFL. So, hey, you're going to have another decent league there too. I just think the XFL does it right. The visibility, the name, the jerseys. My co-host Jack was like, they're the best jerseys other than the NFL in football. And I agree. They like, it just visibly checks out. If you flip this game on and didn't see the crowd, you'd be like, oh, so it's professional football in, in America, you know, in America. That's what I would say. Yeah, there's always going to be those people that are going to discredit it, whether they are elitist, whether they are just, you know, I don't want to um, support leagues that are going to continue to fail. But the reality is, if it's needed for the ecosystem, but who cares about those people, though, you know, because at the end of the day, like these executives and GMs, like if you go to our tape in the Panthers facility in every NFL facility, like you go to your the log and it's like, click, click, scroll down. All right. NFL games, 2021, 2022, you know, all the way from like 96, you can watch like all these games. Well, the XFL's in there. I watched my XFL tape when I was trying to find some confidence and and, and to see how I've grown as a player. I went back and watched some of my XFL games while I was in the NFL building. So at the end of the day, like, are the people watching the game on TV pay for advertising? Yes. Is the league probably going to lose money the first year or two, maybe three? Yes. Is somebody there to make the cushion and make it happen? Yes. By year three, four, five, six, seven, eight, God forbid COVID happens again, there's going to be coaches that are going to be mainstays. There's going to be people that are mainstays. There's going to be continue to be a nucleus. More people are going to come in, come out. So like the haters, it's like, whatever, like the, it's fine. Go ahead. Oh, we're not going to watch the NFL anymore because <laughs> a player kneeled in, in 2018. Like, right, we heard okay, that. that's, 
that's fine. The league's got more viewership than ever. So like with the XFL, it's like props always like I'm blown away by it. I, I, I would go back to it. I would go back to it for sure. At some point in time, if, if I, if I wanted to, and it, the cards are in the, on the table. You mentioned relationships, right? Obviously coach rule. You know, mm-hmm. you had that tie, you know, that could be a benefit. Some people say, but either way, huge benefit. Don't get it twisted, but it didn't keep me in the building for three years. It got me in the building, but it didn't keep me there. That's what I was going to try to get to. Is it some people will be like, well, was it, you know, really an XFL player? Or was it the connections before? I'm like, well, okay. Got you maybe in the building, but the reality is you still got to be able to put up, you know, how do you think Taylor Heineke, how do you think Taylor Heineke got to Washington? He played for that staff in Carolina. <laughs> like, don't get it twisted, folks. It's 100% connections, 1,000% connections. Look at P.J. Walker. Who do you think he played for in college? Same guy. Right, exactly. Same guy, same cat, same Matt Rule. And he's a tremendous football coach and gets a lot. His name's, you know, it's not all him. It's a, it's a team effort. Everybody. We didn't we didn't do enough. Um, and he's been, He got paid a ton, and he deserves every dollar, and he'll do great at Nebraska. Um, but – yeah, I saw you cut you off there, but you know, it's, it's a hundred percent, the connection world, man, like in football, it's, that's how I got to the AF. That's how I got to the XFL. That's how I got back into the NFL point blank period. But if you stink, no one's going to return your text. I got a call from Matt rule. And whatever that day that was, I looked down, his phone was ringing. I was just thinking about him. I said, man, maybe I'll end up in Carolina, but I knew I could play at the level. So it was no big deal to me. It was no big deal for my agents. There was no like crazy celebration. It was like, hey, we're going to send your iPad. You start today. So at the end of the day, like, just get your good foot in the door. Like Matt always says, I've text from rule. Uh, you're not here because of me. Our scouting department thought you were one of the better tech tight ends in the XFL. That's how you're why you're here. So, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, I have no, uh, you know, confidence lost by it. I'm okay with it. I'll take the connection in the three years in Carolina. Oh, no doubt. I I would never fault anybody. But the reality is the connection got the foot in the door, but the reps mm-hmm. got you back to where you needed to be to actually compete against those others that were in camp. So there, yeah. it doesn't matter how you got there without the XFL or the AAF, whatever reps you got along the way, you would have been – or other players like yourself would have been so far removed from the game that it would have hindered you, even if you had that opportunity potentially. Right. I mean, like, let's be, let's be fair. I would have probably, who knows, but I, I wouldn't have had, maybe coach rule would have brought me in for a workout, but they didn't bring me in for a workout. They signed me on a contract. So, you know, they would say, let's see what Collins got. We know him. We know what he brings. Let's see what PJ's got. Right. He's in the same boat. He got cut like 50 times by the Colts. But everyone talks about it with me publicly on social media, not and not PJ, but and PJ is a better player than I am. But my point is like we were at the same position, practice squad players in the NFL. So I play I played in the NFL game for PJ. I hope you're listening, PJ. Now PJ is about to make a lot more money than me and be a really good quarterback in the NFL for a long time. I don't know if I have that much in me. No, that's all good. Everyone loves their time from watching PJ back with the the roughnecks. You know, you you guys kind of were anticipated to be the team if i recall leading up to 2020 just got off to a rough start so uh, you know vipers yeah there's a lot of people rolling i mean listen we should have beat houston at home um we were on a rough start you know i think 
and Aaron will admit it wasn't working with Aaron in. And then, you know, Aaron Murray and, you know, it was that system where like he was the quarterback picked, but end up being really and flowers. There was a lot going on there. And that was not about football. I'll be honest. And then, and I liked, I like you. I'm like, man, this kid can play, but Taylor Cornelius is a stud. And I think is a practice squad bottom of the roster NFL quarterback. Um, absolute stud. He's killing it for the Edmonton Elks. He, um, He's legit. I've said all along standing there. I'm like, that's the guy. Who is that guy? Because he's big enough to run and scramble in the league or sometimes maybe maybe have a protection breakdown or whatever. They bring a a blitz you don't know about. Plus, we had two stud running backs, both in the XFL. Both were like crazy, like breaking tackles. We had a great up-tempo to us. We figured it out. It was just too late. Um, our defense was, with, you know, Jerry Glanville, we were bringing like cover zero blitz every play and like crazy, like either boomer bust touchdown or pick six. Like, so I was a fan of our team. I was a fan of our staff. We had good staff members. I'd be the first to tell you if it, if it wasn't, um, Jonathan Heimbach, O-line coach, Jimmy Alizondo, OC, Mark Trespin, the most unique coach I ever played for in my entire life. Like, unique out of the in the building at nine out of the building by two he's like you guys don't make enough you're not in the nfl be professionals lift after or before he he gave you the time if you wanted to be a pro to be a pro some guys weren't and that's fine but i loved it i loved it i would go train for like two hours i didn't even care about the games i'm like i'm gonna lift and get ready for the nfl and i cared about the games i'm gonna be wrong but i train harder than i would that in that season than i would in any other season just because of the wear and tear on the body so I loved it, man. I, I I loved it. We had a great facility. It's bummed they're not in Tampa anymore. I get why they're not, but we had a great facility at Old Red Spring Training. We had three grass fields in the XFL. Three grass fields. Our own facility. Lunch every day. Breakfast every morning. Hotels paid for. Thousand dollars winning bonus if you win. You know, a lot of guys were on some young minded stuff, as I say. Oh, you know, complaining about this and that. I'm like, what? You got a locker room? You got cleats? I don't want to be that like you got your ball and you go home. No, like it was good though. We had meeting rooms, office space, tape set up. Like I watch film every day. So it was no different than an NFL facility. I mean, obviously you wish you had a bigger cold tub and all that stuff, but like to me, you're not making enough money where you're really saving it. Go spend it on some chiropractic care. Go and we had chiropractors. We had the whole nine. Like it was it was first class. AAF, you made more money, but it wasn't first class operation. It was very band-aided up. They're trying their best. XFL, you made solid money, but the operation was fantastic. Hotels we stayed in, travel, coach buses, the practice, the maintenance on our fields. It was really well done. I don't have enough nice things to say about it. Well, I think that gets us to our time. I got one more question for you. You know, it's all good. I'll, I'll let you wrap up. You got things to do. Maybe we could do this again in the you know, in the future, you know, listen, on down. I'm, I'm down, man. Have me on whenever I'm, uh, there's just, today was, a uh, interesting. I have a show at seven about college baseball for the baseball, our baseball podcast. I'm going to be the contributor to the college baseball this year. Cause I want to get into it. And like, I love watching something randomly on ESPN three on a Tuesday night in February. So, um, you know, tomorrow night I'll be dialed in on all the college baseball games and I'm doing my update tonight. So yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm down to come on. Whenever you need me to, don't be shy. That's on you if you don't ask me again. Well, no, I will because I think it'd be interesting to kind of get your 
input as the season goes on because usually week one, things, you know, shorten training camps, teams that are still building their chemistry. It'd be nice to see what it's like when it's rolling in like week seven and eight. So maybe I'll, you know, catch you, catch up with you then. Perfect. And that's what I said to my wife last night. I said, these guys haven't tackled. These guys haven't broke a huddle with like crowd noise and people and coaches yelling from the sideline. Like it's a real now. So they're going to get, it's getting marinated. It's getting together by, by the time this thing is rolling. And by the time it hits the playoffs, we're going to see really good football and really good players shine through. That's what I miss about the last deal was we didn't get to see those guys write the final chapter of that PJ Walker. It's just fine. It worked out great, whatever. But for the league, for the growth of the league, like I want to go play there. Um, It was there, but I didn't get a bow. So this year we'll get a bow, hopefully. And uh, I love your show, man. That's great what you're doing. I'll be listening every week. Before I let you go, I know you plugged your thing before, but plug yourself all the way across the board. Who cares about me? Just follow our podcast. No, uh, not not for long media. Um, NFL stands for not for long, not for long media, not for long media.com. And then my stuff's uh, Colin Thompson to you on Twitter, Colin Thompson 86 on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we have fun. I talk about food, drinks, and football and uh, have a good time. So. Let's t- tune into our show, man. We have a bunch of different people on. We're like Joe Rogan without the weed and the booze, the politics, and the 150 million. That's what I usually say. So, well, hopefully, we can get you there. Would you guys get, get you some more listeners? You could get that money. Maybe not exactly. all the politics and weed and booze, but hey. exactly. exactly. <laughs> that goes without saying. Appreciate you, Mike. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Having a former XFL player who has utilized the opportunity of playing in the league and showcasing their ability to advance their career to the National Football League is another great way to cover the XFL's return. Because the league is important and has impact on the football ecosystem. I appreciate Colin taking the time to join us to share his story and thoughts. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have a comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, Reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player54Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.